Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. I guess that's a good segue then to get into Thor. So, hey, if you just tuned into this episode, you are missing 46 minutes of very varied content. Um, I guess if you... Mostly uh, about comic book stuff. Mostly comic book stuff, but all media stuff. If you support on Patreon, $3 a month, you get access to early segments of each podcast uh, because we found that this is the easiest way to do (laughs) extra content for Patreon supporters and edit it because all I have to do is snip it and then it's a normal episode. So There were some hot uh, rumors and leaks about the Echo TV show. And some minor discussion on Umbrella Academy with uh, featuring my wife, featuring (laughs) dot my wife. Featuring the distant uh, ghostly voice (laughs) of your wife. What else? There was, we talked about like four different things (laughs) because we talked about Echo we talked about Marvel Netflix, uh, as we typically do on the podcast. We talked about uh, some Umbrella Academy. Uh, we also talked about, oh, we talked about Miss Marvel a little bit too. We did. And some yeah. cultural response to that. Uh, a combination of me suspecting there's a light Islamophobia to it, but also Daniel's talking about just this overwhelming thing of Marvel. But the thing is, is when we're talking about Thor, Love and Thunder, we are also going to talk about a bit of what we talked about before. So just just imagine if you go on Patreon, you get 40 minutes of more Marvel content, which is all what podcasts are for, right? That's what we are about. <laughs> we are if all you participants were, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. And so, the uh, well, I mean, as I'm learning more about the WWE, there's the WWE Universe, which is just what they call fans. So I guess <laughs> I guess that's us now. The MCU uh, involves I hate us. the WWE Universe thing. Sorry. Um, well, well, someday when Gwenpool is made, that is literally the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, uh, I can... Uh, I'm shocked they haven't done Gwenpool yet. I, yeah, maybe all they waiting. have to do is make a real drama of a per it could be a documentary series it starts of her, out a documentary it's a youtube series she's she's a vlogger and she's filming herself and they could just give her well if they're gonna make miss marvel not have stretchy powers they could just give gwenpool tele telekinesis powers like chronicle she just films herself gwenpool all the pitch. time here's my gwenpool pitch you find a young actor right and like you genuinely send her to like cons and stuff to do documentaries about marvel fans and stuff like youtube so like an alternate reality game <laughs> Kind of. And then you genuinely release those, like maybe make her the host of like a Disney Plus like 
Marvel Ugh, no, because then this means I have to get TikTok. <laughs> and then you're gonna just do it on TikTok. It'll be on Disney Plus. Like so like she'll just do like a panel show or something, and then after that runs for like one or two years, like randomly have one <laughs> Look, of these things and we're getting the end of portal. Loki happens and the yeah. universe starts opening up. Oh no. <laughs> and then she's just the Gwenpool actor from that point on. Like that might take some dedication and like because who knows? She might actually become popular as like an online host person or whatever. She meets uh, she's Slattery just, and she's just like, oh, man, everyone in my universe hated you when you showed up the first time. No, that's horrible. <laughs> you lied about being Mandarin. No, you, you know what he would happy. say? You tell me I'm a star? <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> but like you're saying, there's so much good stuff for Gwenpool. But yeah. but we are here to talk about <laughs> Thor. Head on over to Patreon, though. Support $3 a month. You get access to... A lot of extra content at this point. I mean, we've been doing this for about two, three months now. I mean, the podcast for three years, but two or three months of this particular format of Patreon support content, uh, pretty much almost up to an hour for extra content on each episode of various stuff. I, of course, mentioned in the show notes on Patreon what you are getting as extra stuff, but we are here to talk about, oh, and you get to choose uh, each month a special episode we do. We curate the options so that we're getting appropriate stuff, uh, but also because <laughs> Uh, patreon doesn't let supporters choose what to put on the patreon thing so maybe i could think of a new way to do that but anyways you can head on over to the patreon and choose what we do at the end of each month and also you there's a third thing what's the third thing it's uncut stuff choosing oh and i'm well i can't mention the third thing yet because i have to set that up but look forward to third things oh, oh the third thing was the the other thing so there's like oh. 3.5 was <laughs> if we reach certain tiers we'll do special episodes in particular yes, yes. god's not dead franchise we'll be doing stuff like that we've teased making it like a dear evan hansen style stuff where it's a long long episodes but because there's a lot to talk about with those movies we could talk about them being bad movies we could talk about experiences watching them we could also talk about theology and how they don't work but um i digress we are here to talk about thor love and thunder you are here to listen to us talk about <laughs> thor love and thunder <sighs> i'll Tell just me. start off by saying before we cut into what it's about but i will say this was not as bad as just jurassic world 3 but it that's is fair. not that's fair. a good movie let's talk about it dan do you want to introduce oh, I, s- I have so many thoughts in this movie but, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, you want to talk about it let's talk about it let's do it <laughs> thor thor love and thunder Holds a distinction of being the first fourth movie in a solo hero series. It is written and directed and by- the first of the original Avengers movies. That is also probably one of the reasons it's not. It's interesting not happy, that this but- is this is Phase Four movie starring one of the OG um, Phase One I heroes, really exp- which is interesting. I, but- I don't know how we're going to get through this without me interviewing interrupting you, but I really expected <sighs> this one to be a really important pivotal flick in this phase four and it just is not all right all right all right i will stop talking for the next five minutes so you can get through this go ahead go ahead dan thor love and thunder is a 2002 american superhero film based on the titular marvel comics character thor it is written and directed by taika Waititi, with additional writing credit to jennifer keaton robinson who hasn't written anything particularly notable uh, as far as I know, it is produced by Kevin Feige and Brad Winderbaum, though if you look at the credits in you also get Louis De- Despacito and all the usual other uh, producers are listed, uh, including Chris Hemsworth, as apparently he had quite a bit of uh, input into the creation and running of the of the show. Um, he has a Chris Hemsworth specifically has an affinity for the Thor character, so he has a lot of thoughts about him. 
the movie stars Chris Hemsworth as Thor returning for, I don't know, the hundredth time as Thor. You also have Tessa Thompson back as Valkyrie. Jimmy Alexander reappears as Sif, though I thought she would have a larger role given how highly she's billed. Uh, the most notable additions are, of course, Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher as a what I think is probably the standout of the film. And also Natalie Portman was co- was convinced to come back as Jane Foster after a meeting with Taika Waititi, where she also dons the mantle of the Mighty Thor from the f- popular Mighty Thor comic. Also inclu- returning is Taika Waititi as Korg, who is extremely annoying. And then you have Russell Crowe as Zeus, who is having a lot of fun. And it, also, all of the Guardians of the Galaxy characters are back in this, but I get the impression that Taika was not happy to have them around as he gets rid of them as quickly as possible after doing absolutely nothing uh, with them. Thor Eleven Thunder is going to be perhaps the most divisive Marvel film released in a long time. Or at least since Doctor Strange. But um Well, Doctor here, Doctor Strange will have has defenders, including us, because of distinct filmmaker things. It part of the things that makes Do- Doctor Strange a polarizing film are the same things that make some people like it. Some people like the more cheesy, weird tone. Other people don't like it. Some people like that there's more overt horror elements. Other people don't like that. Thor Love and Thunder, the debate is going to be, is this movie really bad or is everyone just being too mean to it? Uh, I personally found Thor Love and Thunder to be a shocking misstep from Taika Waititi. I think it's a bad movie in the sense that's going to retroactively make people wonder if Taika was ever good to begin with, which is the bad oh, kind of disaster. Man. That's Yeah, that'd be bad. Uh, I there are things this movie I like. I don't want everyone to think I hated this movie off the out of the gate, but there are so many things in it that are so baffling and so wrong and so misguided that it ruins a lot of things I do really like. I thought Christian Bale was wonderful as Gore the God Butcher. I think there's some genuinely really interesting stuff in here. Stuff about faith and death and mortality and grieving, all of which they can't shut up long enough to talk about. There are some baffling decisions in terms of what they do, how they do it. And I found an article that really lightens my my, uh, my eyes to it, which is that according to Natalie Portman, they were allowed to improvise so much that they were allowed to improvise and change the plot as they went along. There are whole sequences of the movie that were shot and filmed that were cut. Lena Headey was supposed to be in the movie. Jeff Goldblum was supposed to be in the movie. They even got, um, God, what's his name? Peter Dinklage back as uh, Itri. All of that was cut from the movie. There are whole sequences and planets and plot points that were filmed made and just gone uh which boy does that show and how this movie progresses so is it just everyone got judd apatow brain and it ruined the movie (laughs) who knows uh also it is a comedy that i did not think was funny which is a huge problem for this type of movie where in theory if it's funny you can go along with all the weird tangents and you won't mind it but when if it's not funny it's bad so so here let me ask you this then did did you laugh once in this movie there uh, i there were a couple things that got chuckles out of me um there were two guys in my theater who thought this movie was hilarious and they just, just laughed the whole time uh i also have a great um theater story if you ever if you want to hear it but i do want to hear it i laughed once uh it was when uh a scene at the end when a child is splitting a monster in half that got me to <laughs> chuckle that not just chuckle i actually just popped for it i ch- just outright burst into laughter but it was amidst a bunch of that so it's distinctive to mention that it was only one of those scenes that actually got me to go <laughs> I, like that that's was a, i'm glad you bring that up because imagine if that was the one kind of silly scene in the movie how much more impactful it would have been right like if the movie had been more serious at the point and there's just this insane sequence of children fighting monsters wouldn't that have made the scene so much better um 
I, yeah, I think this is one of those. Well, okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's start with, um, uh, on my end, let's start with this. Uh, I read a New York Times article a couple of days ago. It was an interview or just a piece on Taika Waititi talking about how lately he has been just extremely overworked. Not in a, He wasn't talking about that in a bad way, per se. In fact, he got to a point where he's like, I'm losing sleep. I'm working on so many stuff. But then I see when it's finished and I feel good about it. And I can I'm see a, that here. <laughs> I'm a huge... <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's in a pirate show right now that's kind of like um, what we do in the shadows. He is... Oh, our flag of death. Yes, he's an executive producer over uh, Reservation Dogs, which is essentially a Native American version of what we do in the shadows um, or the office, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, if it was like what we do in the shadows, it's like I'm talking about Native Americans, like they're not real and they can't hurt you. <laughs> Casinos, they don't exist. It's not real. Um, but um, yeah, I. Uh, uh he's also got two other projects he's been working on plus he's pegged to do a star wars project which may be up in the uh, i don't know this has got a 67 percent, so it's certified fresh on rotten tomatoes but i think you if you're below 65 that's when you start getting certified rotten i can't so remember. rotten is below 60 percent. okay um, uh, so he's close what's also i'm surprised I keep, that it's not rotten by the way i, I that shocking to i me. am glad you brought that up because there's actually been a huge controversial thing online where people are actually taking a look and how Rotten Tomatoes decides when something is fresh or rotten or not. Well, isn't it like two out of four? Two out of four. And um, there are people who do two out of fours. Like they do out of four, just like um, Roger Ebert. And there was a movie a couple weeks ago where like someone gave a two out of four and it was interpreted as rotten. And then another person gave a two out of four and it was a tur- interpreted as not rotten. Now, I will tell you, my five out of 10 is not a negative. My five out of 10 is like literally inoffensive but not necessarily fun and that's just to me but that it's one through four for my rankings that are bad and they're varying degrees of bad whereas a four isn't necessarily worse than a three but a four depending on my review may be better than a three so i i could see that but but what are you um, what are you seeing so there's a couple things that are going first um i wanted to figure out if we can get our show certified as a rotten tomatoes critic because some of the people on that are certified critics are very iffy on how legitimate they are they probably use a lot of seo stuff to get a lot of clicks because i know that you need to have a certain amount of you have to verify a certain amount of uh uh, like hits on your website engagement um and i think they have different stuff for youtube for podcasts because like there's youtubers on here there are YouTubers on there. There's, but like some of them are people that have like five or six different podcasts they do that all of them get really are individually not super well like popular, but they have so many projects that collectively they get enough engagement that they can get on there. Um, but a lot of them are like super comic book news.com, you know, type stuff. So some people wonder if Ron Tomatoes is front loading their algorithm with nerd friendly sources who are predisposed to like these sorts of projects, but also according to them, and I've heard mixed things about this, um, the critics submitting the reviews, if it's like a two out of four, they tell Rotten Tomatoes whether or not it should be listed as a, as a rotten or fresh. Now there have been reports where occasionally someone will submit what is listed as a fresh review and it's actually rotten because it toes that line. And the critic themselves are like, Oh, I assume this was, I said it was a rotten review, but they list as a fresh. And so, Maybe that's just there's 500 reviews per Marvel movie, which someone else has pointed out where 
there are so many reviews for Marvel movies compared to other blockbusters that mm-hmm. they just have a higher likelihood of getting like 65 to 70% positive, especially because these are big popcorn movies, which generally critics will be like, well, it was entertaining, I guess. So like they See, are somebody kind of- screamed. That was the punchline. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I like so- this movie. But if you read, if you actually go through and read the positive reviews, the positive reviews for this movie are very like, it's okay, I guess. However, I sure am getting tired of these movies. Kind of positive reviews where they're like, technically, I guess it's not bad. Not my favorite thing. So there are, they're like mixed to positive reviews, to put it diplomatically. So again, this is the, this might be the canary in the coal mine thing, right? I think this might be the first, like the, the blooms off the rose here, where it's an, like, this isn't the worst movie we've ever seen or anything. I like, actually think this is worse than Eternals. I wouldn't say that. I, I it's well, it, Eternals it, has, like, a profile, even though it's imitating <laughs> Eternals other feels people. like a movie that's held it's together with a plot of some kind. It, Eternals is too long. <laughs> it's, very, and, it's way too long. And even though I'm, one of my big criticisms is that it feels too much like an imitation of other directors, which makes sense, right? Because she was pitching it as a – she pitched it with shots uh, and stills from Villeneuve movies. And the first line of the film is the last line of Blade Runner 2049. So – Definitely a movie where she's like, ah, I love Art House, even though <laughs> Villeneuve's not kind of like toes the line of Art House. Now he does, at least. And um, I, uh, but I found myself at least more intrigued by it because it's just interesting in that way. But this movie was like just a slog. Now I think I they both have three out of tens for me on Letterbox, but. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. Do you want me to sum up the plot? Because I feel like we're just kind of ranting... (laughs) Yeah, I guess I, um, I guess this movie deserves that. I guess this movie so, deserves a functional episode. Part of it is like you don't need me to pitch you on a Marvel movie. Everyone who's breathing and has an internet connection is familiar with this. However, so Thor Love, Thor Love and Thunder picks up right where Endgame left off. 
quite literally like there's an opening montage that's actually um pretty pretty good for what it is um but before that until uh, they just do it again i, w- I want to say literally this. just expositions by having the director tell you what the movie's there's about. a lot of expositions movie, oh man some, what a bad some of it's idea. good some of it's not good but the opening scene in this movie is the is the origin for gore and it's i it's a genuinely great opening in my opinion. i like that yeah it's it's dark it's sad it's dealing with some themes that are really heavy for this type of movie where gore is one of the last of a race of people whose daughter dies in the hot sun after a famine and drought and he's praying to his god to save them and so he's wandering the desert after his daughter died he actually comes across the deity he worships and finds him to be uninterested in his suffering and even cruel and precocious in how he treats him and in a moment of rage um the um what do you call it uh the they use the word for the necro sword yeah uh which is from time immemorial has given its will to the power to kill gods chooses him as its avatar and he kills his god um and decides that he's going to kill all gods great villain origin that's a great villain and christian bale is awesome in this movie i thought he was great until he turned into the joker then i did not like so i I think he, for me personally, I think he hits a good middle ground where he's kind of like he's menacing and weird, but he also is like able to vibe with like the Taika with TD um, tone. I think this movie does him a disservice. I think you needed more scenes of him killing gods, for example, killing he's gods for half of the movie. Also being complicated. Why was he? It would have been really interesting if he like. Yeah, he, adu- he so later he abducts children, and that's kind of the the movie. Like, okay, like we got to save the a, children. Like that's like, like he's like would have been he's literally like a boogeyman. That's good stuff, <laughs> right? But it would have been cool if he was like compassionate to the children. Something about that, like like I will care for you in the way that the gods don't. Something about that would have been interesting. Like if he was like. What's what's the is it called humanism? If he was just like peak avatar for humanism or something, <laughs> and like that would have been really interesting to me because the only gods like, we need are us as we treat each other well. Yeah, right. And so there was something about that that like I wanted, which which okay, I think before we this movie really, I I know we we need to talk about the plot just so we have a <laughs> background, but I think it requires like we talk about we tedy a little bit, but like. I've seen Jojo Rabbit. I like Jojo Rabbit. He does serious really well. That movie is super emotional. It's also laugh out funny. Laugh out loud funny. His his but pre-Ragnarok movies all do this really well. Where they have they heart. Are, Even what we do in the shadows yes. has some fun heart. Like the entire romance his character has with the old woman is, is really good. It's so funny. But it's also really good emotional stuff. So like there's something about this movie where even the stuff I like which are like two scenes are two <laughs> scenes that are pretty serious, actual sticking to the script drama plot moments. I, I think I can guess what they are. Uh, guess. Um, You've the, seen this movie listener. Who cares about spoilers? Yeah, the, the, scene, the scene with Thor and Jane in the hospital. Partially uh, that plot line. I did like um, in particular, I actually felt, and I was annoyed that people laughed when Thor is talking about wanting to spend his life with her on the boat, and then she just goes, I have cancer. Yeah, because people in my theater laugh too. And I'm like, I that's thought it not was great. funny. It's not like- funny because also Natalie Portman's actually acting in this scene. So she's really selling I, like- The boat scene was my other It just pick. bubbled out of her. She was resisting. Yeah. She could, and then bam, I have cancer. And then she's acting super well. Like, I am like, 
uh, I'm going to be recommending something at the end of this episode. And part of what I'm rec- why I'm recommending it, because it's going to be a big eye roll once you see it. And if you've already opened the show notes, you know it. But like, part of what I like about this particular thing is I get to watch these actors perform more. And I love that stuff. And it's part of why I advocate certain things for like characters becoming villains in a show. <laughs> if it's long running is because I get to watch the actor do new things. And that's really cool. Um, that's why we like Dr. Strange because we get to watch a hero become a villain and it's really good. It's, it's also why I think Dr. Strange is way better than this because I get to watch actors actually do something like I'm 20 minutes into Dr. Strange again. And I'm going, wow, I get to watch Elizabeth Olsen do crazy stuff again. This is so exciting. I get to really focus in on it. I get to really enjoy it. And so I liked that. And um, at the end, there was some stuff like, even like a Thor's final monologue to Gore, I thought was just that awesome that, just yes, awesome that scene uh, i have but so I'm many like, feelings but about it's that in one this scene. movie that yes. sucks and it, all the stuff with gene's cancer is emblematic of like what the problem with the movie is where if they just if it was in a different movie it would be seconds better. and just let <laughs> because it's the, silly right even Catherine joked about this when we were driving home she's like of course jane has cancer of course she has movie sickness of course well that's but it's the also comics, like but fair. that would have like, been but it would have been fun if it was in a different movie and more emotional. But like, it's in this film where like, it just doesn't work. This it's is just... the pro- like I've said the opposite of this. I you'll I've on the show before I've said something like, oh man, this movie is like one read right away for being really good. I, I'm gonna say the opposite. The first draft of whatever the story was probably was an amazing pitch because it's all right there, right? You have at. At the center of the movie is Thor. On the one hand, he is a villain who is angry at the gods for not saving his daughter. And for it's not just that God isn't real. The gods are real and they don't care. And that is what drives him mad and to kill gods. And then the woman that Thor loves is battling cancer, but she's able to stay alive by utilizing the power of Thor. And then they're, simultaneously, they're all heading towards this one moment. They get one wish. And there's Thor at the center having to choose like, what to do with all this while there's also stuff about questions about who he wants to be. Does he want to be a father? Does he want to spend the rest of his life with the woman he loves? There's so much great stuff here. And that's an amazing pitch for a movie, right? Like you can and, automatically, and that's see, not the movie you see, by the way, if you yes, haven't seen this movie all the and you just I'm heard all that. Yeah. <laughs> that these things like all movie, happen for it? one scene. <laughs> these all happen once. There's uh, one scene where these things get brought up and then they get lost because they're all doing bad. Kevin Smith, Judd Apatow, just everyone's just won't shut up and they're just talking and talking I and talking. Think, I think sex jokes can be funny, but this movie, it was weird. It was like almost uncomfortable. It feels out of place. It really feels out of There's, place. Simultaneously. So, and also, I don't know, I'll just, man. I'll just, cause we're just talking now. I'll just mention one thing that really bothers me is when you look at Thor Ragnarok, you have like, yeah, Thor is kind of stupid in that movie. Fine. But he's the butt of the joke often. Like he's constantly moved around where other characters are either the straight man or they're the one like, like making him miserable or whatever. And so you have characters like Valkyrie and Loki who actually are kind of pointing out how stupid Thor is in this movie. Everyone kind of talks the same. Even Jane Foster is doing dumb comedy bits and just like, this isn't the character. Like, the first scene oh, where no. she's like having chemo. Oh, oh no, is Taika Waititi the new Joss Whedon? Because that's what Joss Whedon's problem was, is every character just talks like he does. Well, yeah. And so like, hence why, like, again, I think part of what makes Gore stand out so much is he's the one thing that feels like Christian Bale is like doing what he wants to do. What a pro, dude. He's, he's good. He's Even though he's it, jokery, like, but like, he's still a good performer. That, that scene with him and the kids is like, I think he walks that fine line where it's like still kind of fits for this movie, but like you can see that there's a menace to his character versus like Jane Foster's doing bad comedy while getting chemotherapy. 
And just like, why is Natalie Portman doing this? Why did you? This is and it's not like this is a new character. We've seen her in other movies not acting like this. So it's weird. And the whole her whole dynamic with Thor works because she is a serious, smart one that makes Thor act more mature. And then when they're just like doing dumb jokes about catchphrases together, which I will say he does kind of redeem that horrible running bit near the end. It's just it's just weird. And there's all these like misguided like there's a couple jokes in this that were okay acceptable punchlines like the goats okay the most horrible unfunny thing to ever be in a marvel movie yeah it's so bad so there's a early joke but you can hear it oh i love the the goats they were my favorite part you can hear it man i'm hearing it in my head right now man i went right to the marvel studios subreddit to the post movie talking and some people were like oh the goats are so funny and it made me just lose faith in in the humanity which to be fair when i talked to all my friends after the movie they're all like oh man the goats i cannot stand those i was like thank god um there's an okay gag early where someone's thanking thor for saving them and so they give them like these horrible goats that make the screeching goat noise which you kind of go ah oh, that's it was a gift but it's a bad gift ha 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 and they're just in the rest of the movie they're just they just don't go away there's a kind of funny idea where it's like thor's current weapon is jealous of his old weapon slash like they treat it like ex-girlfriends that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of funny i guess what if the, the hammers could talk or had feelings and that's the whole movie they keep doing the bit where Thor is apologizing to Stormbreaker. Here's, here's something I was expecting, and you might end up getting a folding ideas about editing for this. But I genuinely thought that because he gave the beer to his axe, that when Gore got the axe to try to get to the end, the axe would be quote unquote drunk and it wasn't going to be able to like oh, work. That'd be kind of clever. And I was like, that would have been a good payoff. Like, ah, yeah. But it's like, but this literally is like everything you've learned about Taika Waititi's career of like, bringing stuff back and stuff it's like the worst version of it it's really really terrible um it's it's almost it it really quite blows my mind and i said to Catherine on the drive home i was like you cannot win an oscar in any degree and then work on a marvel project because it guarantees your next film will be bad because chloe zhao had it and now this so don't make it the third time uh (laughs) don't just don't do it if you win an oscar stay as far away from disney for one or two movies and then well, come back. I, 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 I guess we're directing because like there's plenty of actors that like get uh, awards love and they do superhero movie and they're fine. But yeah, I guess for writers and directors, maybe. Uh, but and it's not to say there aren't things I don't. There's not. There are some things I like in the movie. But oh, so to to sum up the but, plot. Yes, the plot line. Let's keep going. <laughs> to sum up the plot. This however many minutes into this. Um, so Gore has. Uh, the necro sword and he wants to kill god simultaneous to this thor is re like going through kind of like a midlife crisis kind of thing like he's kind of trying to find himself after the events of endgame and infinity war which to be fair were very horrible and traumatic for his character which at first i was kind of like oh they're actually going to address the fact that <laughs> every horrible thing i could ha- you could think of happened to him but it's kind of hand waved away he's hanging out with the guardians who are barely in this despite being in all of the marketing for the movie very weird um Gotta get set, sell that ticket, man. You got, and so oh, he finds out that it's it's kind of muddled here. He finds out that Gore, he meets Lady Sif again. Finds out that Gore is going to kill gods. Gore is actually going to New Asgard on Earth. They just end up in the same place. Simultaneous to this, Jane Foster has cancer, and this is this is from the Mighty Thor comic where Jane Foster does have cancer, and so she becomes Thor. 
And I was very interested in this because like, again, like Natalie Portman doesn't have to do this movie. She has her own career. She can go make another Oscar winning movie. But after meeting with Taika Waititi, she was agreed to come back. And specifically the fact that it was going back for this relatively high concept character. She is a cancer ridden scientist woman who has the powers of Thor now and the powers of Thor temporarily grant her all of the things that she has lost because she has cancer. Man, if you can't come up with some great drama with that premise, I don't even know what you're doing. Like, so this is a you're great working on other projects. Character. Literally, literally in the interview, Taiko T is working on Thor: Love and Thunder, and then on the weekends is going to dress up as a pirate. So this guy, I mean, there, uh, there's it's that's that's why I think he's creatively burned out. Well. I think he's creatively burned out. That is that is that has to be what's going on here. Um, and so gore steals all the children because he needs thor to chase him which to be fair this does pay off because it turns out he needs stormbreaker to access the bifrost in order to reach eternity where legend says that the first person who meets eternity will be granted one wish because eternity is like a deity above deities do you think then there was a scene that was cut because you mentioned cut content there's a lot where, of cut content where really. gore learns this because otherwise why wasn't this the first thing he did like why didn't he just go to eternity yeah because later later and i think the standout sequence is when they go to like his planet thing which is black and white they that's going to be the sequence that makes people say that was a good movie i liked it because it's (laughs) the first time they've seen something artistic every time a movie does this it ends up being quote-unquote good for general audiences it's it is a, it is a it is a good sequence <laughs> I, I yes it is a good sequence yeah i could definitely be this i could see this movie getting a cult following because it's so weird and strange and there's so many bizarre decisions that it like it might just really vibe with someone somewhere right like because they're like oh i really thought it was clever and unique and whatever um but yeah when they go there they see he has the documents that explain this so yeah it does make you wonder why he didn't just immediately go why do you waste all this time killing all these gods if you could just gotten one item, MacGuffin item, and immediately just got rid of all gods? Because that's in theory is going to be his one wish. Um, so they they try and find the kids. They go to a world with all the other deities. It's a complete waste of time because they go yes. and nothing happens. Um, all that happens is they learn that he wants eternity, and they get Zeus's lightning bolt as a weapon. Which I said this to someone else: you could have taken those two bits of information and moved them somewhere else in the movie and made the whole movie stronger. Because rather yes. than having this weird middle, which maybe they just need an action scene, because there's not a ton of action scenes in this movie um, compared to other Marvel movies. Say there's plenty of action in it. It's just, and then, I, and so then, then they figure out that they need to go find him, and uh, one of the kids is Heimdall's son, and so they can use like his vision eyes to get a better idea of where he is, and so they go to where he is. They have that cool black and white sequence, and then. Um, they lose and then they have some stuff with Jane Foster in, 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 uh, in the hospital. Then Thor goes right back to where he needs to go. And then he fights and then they have the ending with eternity. And then there's two pretty solid postcard scenes. I'll say. And, uh, that's most of the movie. Like it's, it's, it's jumbled. It takes a long time to accomplish. Not a lot. It's very weird. Like it's a really structured movie. So when I talk about the fact that they are improvising through the plot, it really feels that way. Because there's multiple moments where they go do something, the characters fail, and then they just restart over again. Like that happens like three or four times in the movie. It's very weird. But 
I really like that Milinor. Uh, I always say it wrong. Like Mjolnir. breaks apart and reassembles when she throws Thor's hammer. That's really cool. Oh man, when we're on this podcast and we ever start just talking about cool suits or <laughs> attack powers, you know the movie's bad. It's, that is the the sure sign of it did not work out. I like <laughs> the way the hammer breaks up and reforms. Uh, yeah. It's... Okay. So speaking of that, during the final fight scene, when uh, they have to break, they decide we need to don't break his get weapon. into logic. Don't when get they decide into power logic, no, it's, it's a the, fool's errand. Not power logic. I'm talking editing logic. When they do this final fight and they, they have to break the sword, apart from the fact they've never set up the fact that when his sword breaks, he can rebuild it. Um, there's a part in the fight where finally Thor has the upper hand. Jane Foster has shown up um, and she's going to, she's going to die. She uses the fight, but she does it so cool. So you get some stakes, whatever. Um, but now Thor has the blade, he and Gore are fighting and he has the blade caught between the lightning bolts and he's holding it. And then sad music starts playing. Sad music starts playing. Like this is a sacrifice scene. And he looks over at Jane and Jane nods as if to be like, oh, I think they're implying that this attack is going to also kill Thor or something. So she throws the sword, the, the Mjolnir, and it destroys the sword and Gore flies back. And he's got this like, you know, Aragorn's blade. It's like half broken, whatever. And then the blade, then the hammer splits, takes the pieces of the blade and brings it back. And the sad music is still playing, implying like someone's going to die. And I started to just become more confused because the editing, the slow motion of it, um, and then the music all implied something costly was going to happen. And I was really confused. I don't know if this happened to you. And I knew like, okay, this doesn't make sense because there's no precedent set up for this. Why is the editing in the scene making it look like this? And it just, uh, then she just brings it back, destroys the sword by closing Mjolnir because it wasn't closing all the way because of the shards of the sword. And then like the, the sword is just gone. And then the scene ends. And I was just really like, who edited this? Who's the? I'm, I'm going to look this up right now. Who edited this? I do know that in that New York Times interview, they talked uh, to Feige. There's four credited editors. Uh, they did talk to Feige a bit. And Feige said how like he genuinely thought Waititi would not show up at 8 o'clock for editing because he was so busy. But then every day, Waititi still showed up. So hey, good, good on him for following through. But still, there's this worry of like, I can just imagine he's showing up with like a coffee pot, a fresh pot, and he's just like still in pajamas going, all right, we got to do this. Got to do it quick. Maybe he still has his pirate beard on because he doesn't have time to take it off. <laughs> um, and like, it just, it's, it's not the first time I was confused. Catherine was also confused a couple times as well. Well, um, they never this- set up the idea that Thor can destroy Thor's hammer on command. Gore can, can, de- can destroy Thor's hammer, you said? Well, or- Jane destroys the hammer to destroy the bits of the sword trapped within the Was hammer. Was it destroyed? I couldn't tell. Yeah. I, because uh, the whole thing is like, oh, if you just like if you become Thor once again, you will probably die. And so the idea is like as long as she stays Thor, her body is kind of like put together. And so man, nobody, destroying nobody Thor's hammer, uses cool powers except for Sam Raimi because just from the 20 minutes of Dr. Strange again, thinking of how he like 
to to catch a flying car, he opens a portal and like a demon dog jumps out to bite it and lands it. Or, <laughs> or even he, like he's just using his wizard powers to put on suits and turn water into into wine, into wine and stuff. And, and then he also like does the you know the music note fight and all these sorts of things. It's why everyone's favorite bit in X Men Two is the fact that like when Logan wants to drink like a cold drink, he hands it to the to the ice power kid to make cool down a drink for him. <laughs> it's just like the hit movie Clueless when she reaches out the window to make a to get a lemon to make lemonade it's all yeah. good stuff but also i mean even uh what's the other or even spider-man 3 uh-oh don't mention that but the fact that they're just doing a hammock out in the park and it's just spider webs just silly stuff of like yeah powers. More stuff are... like that versus like in the holland movies where they're just laying down on top of buildings like dude make a web or um, where's your sense of showmanship? Raimi being like, they're superheroes. Why aren't we on buildings more? So there's always a scene where someone's caught on the edge of a building and everyone inside the building looks outside and there's a monster. There's extras. Or um, there's what movie was I just watched? Or Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where it's like we have this horrible murder prison outbreak scene where um, Mondu is a Mondu. That's his name. I haven't watched it for a while, but he's sending the thing to go around and kill everybody. He's whistling all the time. All these cool oh, uses of powers. Yeah. Yondu, that's right. Um, and like this movie has a cool ability, right? The the hammer can split and then come back. But there's no scene where it's like, I don't know. You could have like a maze or something where they're stuck. A ah, planet, yeah, 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 and yeah. like, it's just like, I'll just send the hammer out. We've already learned it's conscious. And so it just starts just obliterating things. You have scenes where monsters are hiding behind a wall. And then like one shard, the, the camera zooms out and you see a shard come into frame and it looks over panicked and then boom, right into his brain. Silly stuff, right? Come on, Waititi. I'm writing this movie for you. <laughs> like you could do funny gags with powers. And then it's just like, Oh, Thor went through a a really important church in this other planet that he's saving and it shatters and breaks. I don't want to talk about it. Please don't talk about it. It's making me sad. Here's some goats. <laughs> like, uh, I really think this is like uh, the, the the main laugh I got in the movie is when Thor is Thor throughout the movie tries to give big rousing speeches, um, which in and of itself isn't funny because it's not a thing he's done in previous movies. But um, there's one speech he's talking about we will feast. And then he weirdly segues talking about how they used to eat their own babies. Yes. That was funny. I thought that was was like, all right, that's we don't do that anymore. (laughs) That was a dark time. Yeah. We're better than that. And even everybody in the crowd knows what he's talking about. uh, You know, shaking their heads and crying. I'm like, okay, that's funny. (laughs) Like Taika's like the main things that make Taika stuff funny is when people have make offhand comments or like, kind of like, like make weird little commentary about natural in world yeah. offhand comments stuff like, that makes sense yeah and there's a couple bits where it's like also where it feels like a written down joke like they go to a place of deities and there's a god of like um dumplings or something like something they had to like plan out and write that joke because they had to do the vfx for it like there's bits that feel are funny because they feel like they weren't just turning the camera on, let Chris Hemsworth keep talking until he says something that makes us laugh on set. And then we'll keep put that in the movie kind of stuff. I will say that according to Natalie Portman, um, they all, all the actors really enjoyed the experience. Like, cause there, it was this freeing experience where you could just kind of like do what you wanted with the character, take the character, whatever direction you wanted. And some of that makes it to the movie where I think the scene where like Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth are talking about her having cancer. Like, I think, that feels like a scene where Taika allowed the actors to like dis like do the 
decide the emotions of the characters in the moment and like really like act out the scene as if there were two long lost lovers realizing they don't have time. Like that stuff is strong, but like the fact that everything in the movie feels barely held together by tape and glue, it creates this like sense of like just chaos and not in a fun way. Like I like movies that are unpredictable and chaotic, but this just felt like it had no sense of like for momentum for most of the time, or it felt like they were kind of making up what they were doing along the way, which can be really enjoyable if I'm having fun, but none of the jokes are landing and it just, there's not a lot of things happening, especially when there are things in the movie that I'm patiently waiting for them to do more with. Like I wanted more gore. I want more with this really effective cancer drama that is just in the background of this movie. Like there's the scenes where Natalie Portman is realizing that she's not getting better or where she's like, she breaks the sink in frustration. Like that's really good stuff. And then it's kind of doesn't get as much screen time as maybe the show yeah. or the fact that Valkyrie yeah. is like an afterthought in this movie. What happened? She's like a main character in the previous movie. And then there's all this talk about how she's this big fixture and she's looking for a queen and all this stuff. And she's kind of she's she's barely a supporting character in this. What happened? But then why are you putting more Korg in the movie? It's very sequely, right? Where like it feels the most like a, just a general sequel than any other Marvel movie where there was a previous movie that people liked. And so there's more of that. You guys like dumb Thor. Thor gets dumber every movie somehow. You guys like Korg. We're Korg's in a lot of the movie now, you know, like it's just like someone was like, well, like, oh, audience really reacted this stuff. Put more of that stuff in the movie. And it feels cheap. It feels like a retread. It doesn't work. I don't know why Thor is so dumb in these movies now. Like he's really stupid at the beginning of this movie. Yes. Or he's like, I'll give you back your ship. And it's like, yeah, they got a chuckle out of me, but like, does Thor have brain damage or is he just a jerk? Which one of the two is it? Why is he like this? Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Sorry. I just keep ranting and raving. It's, it's, okay. like, it's very it's frustrating. Movie, it's very so. frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's not good. <laughs> That's well, all. It's not good in the way where you can see all the good in it, which makes the not good even worse because it's a lot of talented people too. Like, it's not like these people are like untalented. Taika's made a lot of movies I like. Hunt for the World of People is a great movie. What We Do in the Shadows is is really funny. The What We Do in the Shadows TV show, extremely funny. Thor Ragnarok, one of the best MCU movies, in my opinion. You know, you got Natalie Portman back. She's great. Russell Crowe is in this movie. Christian Bale is here. Chris Hemsworth is here. Tessa Thompson is great. She was a standout in the last movie. And I was pumped to see Jamie Alexander back, you know? And then just what happened? It's just it's a just a giant mess. Like you have a strong beginning, you have a pretty strong ending. Um, I want to talk about the ending. You want to talk about the ending? I was just going to mention that this is thirty one out of thirty nine on my ranked list for the year so far. That is one above Diamond Hands, a movie about Wall Street bets that was rough, and one below Redeeming Love because <laughs> I would one hundred percent watch that sooner than this. Plus, it's more interesting to talk about. Um, Some other people might be interested to know it is also three below Obi-Wan Kenobi. So we'll just leave that there. Um, Yeah, I I did not think this was very good at all. Um, But yeah, I guess we can get into this ending. There's some there's some entertaining like I know that most people going into this, they just want to be entertained. There are some entertaining bits like the action scenes that do happen are pretty fun, entertaining, I suppose. And I, the, some people in my theater thought it was really funny. So, I mean, comedy is really subjective. I'll admit. Oh, that, that so. reminds me. Um, people only really laughed in my theater when it was a trailer scene. 
Uh, so it's kind of like when you quoted the, when you mentioned the Eternals, when people quoted the, uh, Ikea scene, but you mentioned <laughs> that there was an interesting theater experience oh, so that you had. Tell me about that. I guess I'll mention it now. Um, throughout the previews, for whatever reason, there's one, one woman in my theater who would loudly comment on the, on the preview after it happened. She, so a preview would play and she'd go, can't wait to see that. And then a guy in my theater started responding to her and he'd be like, me too. And this would make her extremely angry. So she'd be like, oh, I can't wait to see that. And he's like, I can't wait to see that too. And she'd be like, shut up. I'm not talking to you. What? And the next trailer, next trailer would real? play. She's like, that's going list. And you go, that's going on my list too. She's like, why won't you shut up? <laughs> and so this started becoming a thing where people in my theater started laughing after like waiting for it to happen after every trailer. That's so it's awesome. It's like, what is that? And you go, it just played the trailer. And she's like, I'm not talking to you. And I'm like. <laughs> I was like, like, is this going to be the whole movie? Are they going to talk about the whole movie? And then neither of them talked about the movie. It would have made the movie better if they did, did they? It was funnier than the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give give them that. There were two guys sitting in my row who they just loved everything. They laughed at everything in the movie. So I was like, maybe it's just me. But then I started listening because I started like, because I don't know. I guess I was just trying to listen to how the people reacting. And most of the people in theater weren't laughing. So... Um, but I, I hope I hope those two people in my theater uh, caught up after the, after an exchange numbers and are currently on a date. I think I, did, <laughs> I think they're meant to I be. I did not like going at four thirty. I went. I saw Thor on Thor's Day at four thirty, um, and because I was basically in a theater with just fanboys and fangirls. Um, not that everyone was laughing, but as I'm leaving, I'm hearing literally everyone say, "That was awesome. That was great." And it's like as the credits are rolling, I'm like, Cat and I start talking about something, and then I just go. By the way, that was really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was it. It's like, that's, that was our conversation. But like, yeah, as we're walking down the theater hallways with the dimmed lights and it looks like a spaceship, um, it's like everyone's just like, that was great. That was so good. And I just felt so out of place. I wish I went on Friday because then I could have done um, Cinema Score and I could have given it an F like it deserves. But It has a B plus currently in Cinema Score, ah! which is... Um, like I said, nothing in cinema score, only complete disasters or the most polarizing films ever made ever get below C. Um, yeah. and even then, like, it's why, again, like it's why I put almost zero, like, I know some people really value cinema score, but just like every big blockbuster movie gets like a B minus or higher. Well, I've never cinema seen score it. is good because it, it's not because it's good ratings, like, oh, you can tell if it's a good movie that way. It's really the best for will this be financially successful or yes. not. And That's so what makes cinema If you get so lower powerful. than an A, you're in trouble because only four MCU movies have gotten lower than an A and they've all been in this phase. So Black Widow, Eternals, this. And I think, I think maybe Doctor Strange actually. But Doctor Strange made like $900 million. So who knows? But It's a good movie. Um, so there's, uh, there's two more bits to talk about. There's the ending and then there's the credit scenes. Um, I 30 minutes of the movie, like actually, no, not that, but like, as soon as he mentioned eternity, my first thought would be, wouldn't it be really interesting if he gets to eternity and he doesn't, and he just wishes for his daughter to be back. Like I had that immediate thought. I was like, would that, wouldn't that be a great thematic closure to the film where he, she shows that he is in fact better than the gods that he hates. So Especially much. if that was his first idea and it was never to kill all the gods. Well, in my head, I'm like, oh, this scene should be this. He reaches eternity, and eternity, or someone goes, you can have whatever you want. And then he has a moment of clarity. Like, I could have anything. And then he just he closes his eyes, or in this movie, reaches up his hand, and then you see that his daughter comes back. And that's it. And I think they 
I don't know if they just didn't think audiences would understand. I think they over explain it in this scene. Like, I, I think they, they fumble the ball a bit here where like, he's just like gore's like dying and he gets one dying wish. And Thor gives a monologue about love, which isn't bad, but like, and then he has a, he has a great moment where he's like, like I'm about to die. I'm going to spend my last moments with the woman I love. And like, yeah, I in that, that he shows gore that they're not all the same. So he sees some humanity. Like that's nice, but I, I prefer things to be more understated personally. And so like, I again, yeah, like you said, it'd be better if it was his own idea. Like if it wasn't Thor being like now gore, <laughs> truly the power is love. And if and the if, one who was the, the one who was love. about trauma too, then it would have been a good character exposure of Thor's character to constantly think this man was just trying to kill all gods to, to yes, it would, it would be a, um, yes, what's the term an indictment of his character. It would make him not look like as good of a God as he might think he yeah. is. Yeah, It would be like, Oh, I am just like Zeus. I am just like these right. guys. Cause imagine if Thor looked at him and went like, you just brought your daughter back. And Thor was like, yeah, that's like I'm not a monster do, like idiot. you, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. that's it. He just leaves. And then she's like, Oh, I was completely, but is that too high concept for this franchise? Is that too much? No, because they just did that with Doctor Strange. And maybe, yes, because the fans didn't like that. But that's literally Doctor Strange, where you had a character do horrible things, and then they self-exile. Because you know you know, Wanda's not dead. Um, and like <laughs> that's cool. That would be really neat. And even Doctor Strange's character arc is, is this one the good one? Because all other Doctor Stranges are egomaniacs. It's just they're, one of them's less than the other. Um, and that would have been fine. I mean, you even said that online, there's sort of a conversation of is all of Marvel's property face for just about grief and death and misery. <laughs> and like, yeah, they kind of have been. And even this one had a bit of that where the opening scene is a child dies and a God doesn't care. And like, and then the, 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 the character that finally comes back since the second movie has cancer. And it's like, well, if, uh, gods are real, why do I have cancer? Stuff like that. Like uh, that could be all interesting. So yeah, you could do it. But then it just doesn't do that because how can you pull a Ghostbusters 2016 and also make a movie about like high concept, real life, everybody experiences situations? I also kind of wanted it to be a thing where Gore would have gotten to eternity and he realizes what's happening to Jane Foster and Gore would use his wish to save her or something like like it like a complete face turn at the end. Right. Where he redeems himself and. Like, he's like, I know what that's like or something, you know, whatever, where like he both proves that he's better than the gods, but also he shows Thor. So, like, I don't know. There's like, there's a bunch crazy of- that they learn that you can make any wish and neither Thor or Jane talk out loud about like, we could cure your cancer if we get there first. Like this could I have been of, a race. I movie. worried they do that. I worried that they would, they would like chicken out and they would let Thor get there before Gore or something. Well. Just to at least say, like, well, if the door opens, just get in there first or something. Like, they didn't even do that because that's in my head the whole time is, like, at least I I don't need hand-holding, but I do need to know that the movie knows what it's trying to do. And I just never really felt that. And so I was just pining for just one line <laughs> for it to say, yeah, you can trust me. And it just never happens. This movie really is like, like I even was like, what is this movie about? What's the plot? Like I get what we want to think it is, but like when the movie presents itself, cause I mentioned the editing at the end, but the editing in the beginning is so messy where like the monsters are, I don't even know what they look like. 
what art person was so excited to draw cool eldritch beings and monsters and then i don't get to see anything i have no sense of place no sense of setting the fight just starts and there's just people everywhere it's like it's like something you'd see in a comedy movie yeah. where like a well like, there there are some nice crazy. art scene which i guess it's weird we haven't talked about the look of the movie because that has been a huge topic of discussion like the black and white sequence like there's a moment where like the monsters start forming on the planet and it looks almost like a Jason it, Argonauts thing. It it's really looks cool. like a berserk, the, uh, the, the, the eclipse sequence uh, where I all the monsters it. show up. It's well, if you've seen it, you know, if you haven't, I'm not recommending it, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's one of the best horrifying scenes of like just monsters showing up. It's crazy, but it, it looks it really felt cool. like that. And it that, was neat, but then like, but then it's not like it's look, uh, broken clock is right twice a day so but i that doesn't mean i celebrate it for telling the time like i i don't i don't even want to go so far as to say this movie has parts that look good because it does it like i don't know like it it looks it, it is the most green screen looking movie the mc's put out in a long time like i saw this movie 3d which i think really helped the way it looked because i did dolby it, as always but yeah it just but you can tell they saw they shot it like the way they shoot Mandalorian. Like it looks like oh, there's a ton of scenes that just look like someone standing in front of a green screen. Like it lacks the pop that Thor Ragnarok was visually really fun to look at. And this like cool art deco design, like re- almost retro futurism thing going on. Like the planet look it is a mixture of the planet with um, Jeff Goldblum's character looked like a mixture of opulence and just space garbage. Like it looked neat. Like everything looked neat in that movie. And this one, it just feels like, scenes on sound stages like there aren't cool planets or anything like you know it's crazy uh i'm just gonna keep mentioning this anyway but like the 20 minutes of dr strange i could draw <laughs> the first i could draw the setting of the first fight scene and locations i could say where the church is that he jumps out of i could draw and point pinpoint this is where america chavez appears this is where the bus was thrown and then this is where uh dr strange pulls the the pole out of the ground and shoves it into his eyeball. Like that's how good they set up the scene to have like just, just where the environment is. And then this movie's first fight scene at um, new Asgard is indiscernible. And then the fight scene on this planet is just a ball. <laughs> so it's like, it's got no features. So it's like the easiest thing you could do. Um, it's it is really weird it feels like uh when i talked about the halo show the final fight and that feels like a map from the game but not in the not in a good way it just feels kind of like that where it's like we don't really want to have personality we don't want to have a setting we don't really want to have much going on i don't know man this is it is one of the cheapest marvel movies in terms of like personal investment and This is what happens when you pump out multiple big budget projects all the time. Things just less polish. And this looks unpolished. Maybe. I don't, I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's Disney and Marvel though. I actually think this is the director. I think this might be Waititi being so focused on everything else. There's because there's too much oversight in Marvel though, for that to be too, it's no one person's fault. There's too many moving parts here for it to be any one person's fault. But, like, there's multiple stories of, like, for example, part of why Black Panther special effects don't look as good as they could is Marvel was actively pulling people from the VFX to work on the VFX for Endgame. So, like, there is a whole machine here where, like, someone, Feige or otherwise, could have been like, yeah, that looks a little, like, rough. Let's uh, patch this up. But, like, if you have more time, if you weren't beholden to such an insane release schedule, like, there would be more oversight where someone could take a look at the current edit and go... 
hey, like, could we spruce this up a little bit? Could we reshoot? The, like, like it, it's too big a machine for like anything to just kind of sneak out. Like, you know, it just it just doesn't work that way. Like, there's there's stories right now even of like Sam Raimi and having conversations with Kevin Feige about keeping certain scenes because like Sam, Kevin Feige thought that the stare off between um, Doctor Strange and Mordo when they first see each other was quote cheesy and Sam Raimi was like no I want to keep that where they just that moment where they just cut back and forth between their stare eyes stare off as in before they hug when they yes. go to the new universe he thought that was like a little cheesy which oh, I disagree because it <laughs> it's tension right it's like yeah. uh I don't know how he but I don't know if this guy person- likes like, me and that's the yeah. thing like Taika's quote personality this movie just kind of feels like the MCU comedy formula in general like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a what distinct movie, enough frankly to, you know um but I will say that Gord using his wish to bring back his daughter, which is Chris Hemsworth's actual daughter, for the record, the actor. Oh, cool. That's um, really cool. It leads into what I think is a genuinely great moment and idea. Like, just Thor has a daughter, basically, who calls him Uncle Thor, who has the powers of eternity. And, like, he's just teaching her to tie her shoes and trying to get her to put her boots on. That's nice stuff. It makes it, it, Again, it feels more genuine because that's his real daughter. So they have a chemistry that you can't oh, really and direct. And it's scripted too. If, if, the comedy it, in that scene works better because it's been scripted. Because the to... girl can't improv probably. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, it's a nice little scene. It's actually sweet. Like it's a sweet scene because it actually ties up some stuff. Because previously in the movie, I will say one thing I liked is that they do show flashbacks to Thor and Jane's relationship, which has always been underdeveloped in my opinion. Like that's in theory what Thor: Dark World should be more about, but they actually shoot and add all these scenes where you see Thor and Jane in love and how they kind of drift apart. They just, that stuff's good. They just narrate it. They just tell you it, and I'm like, I wanted to watch that movie. That would have been cool. Catherine's like, I'll watch Eternal Sunshine with superheroes. That sounds so awesome. Yeah. Like, ex- yeah yes. Yes. But I, like, but I guess that's interesting. That's the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man series, though. Like when I think about it, because that's that whole thing. Even the, kind of, some like, some stuff in Spider-Man Three. I stand it. I think it's good. Is that stuff like that? It's just it's really it, great. It's um, a particular type of relationship, though, because like Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker is such a nervous, like unconfident weirdo. That, and then like, he gets to the third and he's way too confident that he's <laughs> kissing other girls yeah. in front of his girlfriend. Versus it's horrible. Like, he's so the, bad. <laughs> yeah. Chris Hemsworth and, and, and uh, Natalie cry. Portman. Terrific. <laughs> They've got great chemistry, I think. Um, their relationship feels more like a typical normal. Like they see them going to Halloween parties together and he's dressed in like a hot dog costume. Like that stuff feels like more of a typical couple that has normal couple problems versus like Peter Parker, his main relationship problem is forever that he also is Spider-Man and Spider-Man comes first versus his relationship. Right. right. This just feels like they just aren't vibing. And <laughs> like that, like, yeah. like eternal sunshine with superheroes, as I think Catherine said, yes. that sounds great. I want to watch super that. cool. <laughs> yeah. Cause Thor is so powerful that like, you don't have to have the problem of like, he always has to be on, right? Like, and plus it's in a world where there's other heroes. Whereas like in Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, he's the only one. So there's yeah, probably a yeah. constant dread of, oh, I couldn't stop 9-11. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, or no. like, yeah, there's a great scene in this movie where like- <laughs> Should I go to the Arab Spring? Should I help? <laughs> like, it's like, like well, it's totally different. A Thor, completely Thor's different. getting a phone call from Nick Furry, um, which, which <laughs> yeah, is funny. that's pretty good. Um and like that stuff is like that's cute like that's fun and again i wish that wasn't relegated to one flashback montage that's being narrated by korg you know i think again there's all these little things that i really like that i think you know could have been explored more 
and it that stuff sets up the end where she talks about like what life do you want to have do you want to have kids and so that when he has a kid at the end who also has godlike powers that's great and so and, and it's also why they're called the movie's called thor love and thunder is because people apparently call him and his daughter love and thunder and um and it also makes the use of the song sweet child of mine have a little extra oomph to it so there's again at the first first draft where he presented the outline like this is how we're going to end this is where i want to go that sounds like a great movie you know where jane has died but they ha- he has a daughter now that he takes care of which is you know they both together carry the weight of the loss of gore and jane foster like there's a lot of stuff there um but the movie preceding it it just doesn't like it's not the movie didn't actually build to that particular moment right the scraps so it's of, just weird yeah <laughs> it's, it's really weird the scraps of the pre the scraps of the stuff i like would have led to to that like, but it's not thor who says that she'll be taken care of it's natalie portman who just is about to die who says to gore she'll be loved and taken care of and it's just like what if we didn't learn that thor wants to have any i mean i mean he i think he has the line about like when i have six kids or something yeah oh no that was in the office um but yeah. <laughs> but there's no so and yeah he's great no with setup. the kids in the cage so i guess right but like uh, yeah, it is a movie that's stripping over itself, and it's just, it's really not. It keeps getting it's in its own that. way. Yes. It's wild. I mean, we haven't really even talked about the, the the side plot of going to visit the gods, but it's just horrible. It's just not fun. Um, I Russell Crowe is kind of fun in that Russell Crowe clearly is just, just, just screwing around. <laughs> just, just yeah, like, he's getting paid to like goof off and stuff. And so. like, uh, there's the partial nudity, which in a way is kind of funny. It's a little silly, but like, it's just not, I don't know. It's just, it's, again, but it's even notable that, like, it's, because it's the one time that Valkyrie and Jane Foster get to just be together and like, yeah. they have chemistry. Like, why didn't they pal around more? That'd have been funny where yeah. they team up and make fun of Thor or something. Like there's, there's a clear dynamic you could have played into there, but they don't. So, yeah, but it's, um, whatever, man, what a boring boring bad time at the movies and again not as bad as jurassic world 3 that was like i mean it was like physically hard to watch like i said i was stretching i was anxious (laughs) i wanted to leave but i stayed uh why do i do this to myself this um thor love and thunder before we get into the post credits the mid and post credit scene um it's not the worst superhero movie i've ever seen uh there's still like mid 2000 superhero films that are worse than this you know are they aren't they more fun to watch? Like Catwoman and Daredevil are way more fun to watch. What are you talking about? Like, um, they're fun in the, the they actually get laughter bad. out of like, me. Like, they this did not get laughter out of me except for one scene. I mean, I'm not doing the Mark Kermode rule of six, right? Like, if I laugh six times, it's funny. But like, but it's uh, but those well, make it's me like, laugh. There, there's the built-in. I would rather be embarrassed by watching a movie like watching Venom 2 where both of us were (laughs) like, this was actually embarrassing, even though no one sees I'm here. And like, then, (laughs) then watching this where it was just, just, well, it it depends how you, depends how you, so like, there's a level again, where the movie gets cheat codes because these are characters I previously have attachments to that like, Oh, it's, it's my buddy Thor. Like I've seen Thor in a bunch of other movies. I'm predisposed to like this character. Same with Jane Foster, same with Valkyrie. Like I mentioned the fact that Jamie Alexander comes back as Lady Sif, who outside of her two appearances in Ages of Shield, the last time we saw her was in like Loki. a weird fake dream sequence thing in Loki. But that was um, good. So it's like, oh, that's neat. And so like there's things here where like 
I'm getting enjoyment out of it, but it's not even a hundred percent the movie's achievement. It's like it is they're riding the momentum of like a million other movies and TV shows. This is the 29th released film from the MCU. Um, plus, like I mentioned, Lady Sif has appeared in multiple other TV shows. So it's like, yeah. So I'm getting some enjoyment out of it that like the movie didn't earn. Like that's just built into the built into the product. Like you know, Taika Waititi could have filmed like you know what's that movie Jerry where there's where it's just Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck or Casey Affleck walking in a desert for two hours. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. Oh yeah, don't watch that movie. It's awful. But because because it's, it's as described, just two people walking in a desert. But he could have done that with these characters. And, and then Jesus like, walks up and explains the entirety of the Old Testament and how it relates to him. Yeah, it, it'd be like, well, <laughs> it's that good movie to see. I want to watch. It's good to see <laughs> Thor again. I would say, you know. <laughs> so, um, but like, there's still stuff in here that, like the like I said, the action scenes are entertaining. Like they're not the best action scenes I've ever seen in the world. And there's a handful of things in here that I got more out of emotionally than like fantastic four two rise of silver surfer or you know <laughs> blade trinity <laughs> so but it's it, it gore goes right to the top of the list of wasted marvel villains and then this movie goes right to a lot of people's bottom five i think um it's thor does it again <laughs> yeah the people I retroactively kind of be like thor dark world's better it's like oh Let's 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 pump the brakes a little bit. Okay, Thor Dark World felt like a Star Wars movie before Disney Star Wars started. Go it, back and watch it. It feels like a Star Wars movie. Yeah, it really does. It's I I I I think it's less boring than Eternals. Like I think Eternals is more boring, which to me is the 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 cardinal sin. Like if it's boring, it's worse than anything else. Um, I I would more sooner watch this than the Incredible Hulk. Right. <laughs> you really hated this huh um i didn't hate this i was would very I watch annoyed this by before it. incredible hulk i don't know um <laughs> it might be equal i know for you when we did that again you kind of talked about like how this was your third time watching it but you kind of saw what was trying to be done but even incredible hulk at least is more interesting because you get to think about how it was made during the movie um oh man you are putting up a good fight uh <laughs> i don't know i don't know but this is not good uh this one is just not good and uh it's, yeah, yeah it's it is extremely noticeable the quality between this and doctor strange uh it's unbelievable almost uh not in the sense that like everything about thor should have been good but more in the sense of like I don't know. Marvel is consistently good or better. And then after Eternals, it's like, you know, the cherries popped and now it's going to just be downhill. Um, I'm this, this relationship isn't working out anymore. Marvel doesn't put on makeup. I don't know. I, I could say a more misogynist, terrible things, but like, <laughs> but it's just not good. It's really not good. Um, and before anyone starts thinking I am very happily married, <laughs> well, I love my wife. She's just wonderful. Um, but it's, it really is bad. I, I, and I just, I don't know. I, so this is, this is the one thing I wanted to talk about. Um, I, I don't know if there's much the to talk about. Scenes. Well, I don't know what, what is there to talk Fine. Uh, what is there to talk about in the post credit scenes real quickly? I mean, uh, first the, uh, the one after the credits is a nice little ending. Um, Jane Foster, uh, so it's established in the movie that you can only reach Valhalla if you die in battle. And so Jane Foster 
actually does die die in the movie which i give them credit for and it's actually there's a moment it's like it is understated where she but dies. she died after the fight but and she, thor she, jokes about oh if you actually only died after if you die after the fight you don't go to valhalla yeah uh, maybe your arms in valhalla that got me to chuckle uh, now that i think about that that was pretty good but that's probably because it was scripted and not well, I, uh, I will say like, so when Jane Foster dies, she turns into stardust like um, Odin did. So it's from that visually, you know, she's gone to Valhalla. So I was like, okay, good. Like they didn't have someone go, oh, she's going to Valhalla. They, they just let <laughs> you know that. They do the anime ending where, yeah, the character fades off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very anime. I, I appreciate that. And then so in the post credit scene, we see her arriving at Valhalla. And uh, Heimdall's there to greet her, and which was nice to see at Idris Elba. And so a lot of people are taking this interpretation of that because she was a uh, because she was officially one of an Asgardian, but also she died losing her battle to cancer. That is the battle in which she has died. And so, like, yeah, right, right. Oh my gosh, that's what a lot of people are interpreting it. So, are they going to just like go like they're going to find other humans that had as our Asgardian blood because Asgardians just maybe they're like ego. They just go to other planets and just like sleep around, and then they get cancer and die. And they're like, "What the heck? Where am I? I, mean, that, I was Jewish." <laughs> that's one interpretation. It could just be that because she, she died fighting Gore. That officially, she... now if Taika Waititi had actual eight hours of sleep and exercise and was only working on one movie he would write that and it would be funny <laughs> but <laughs> so that's know. a nice little scene and i i some people are like why wasn't lady stiff's arm like floating around the background which would have been, like, been, been funny it would have been funny but it also would have kind of ru- like gosh darn it can you can this movie not ruin more scenes with like weird like humor i don't know i i i kind of am glad they went with the more Put that like, in the next movie yeah yeah that, that'd be a good gag for a next movie where they just, you just they flash to um valhalla and they have more cameos that and her being dead would be the only mentions of that movie of, of thor yeah uh, and, and but the pre-credits is so zeus is not dead he was thought to be dead and we see him being comforted by uh, a bunch of ladies and then he He's, you see him talking to someone off screen, but it's it. But he's talking about how like the people don't fear the gods anymore; they don't worship us anymore. Um, but you will like remind them. And it's uh, actor Brett Goldstein from Ted Lasso, and he is playing Hercules, who's going to be sent to Earth to fight Thor, and he's wearing his comic accurate costume, which always gets points for me. And for those who are not aware, Hercules is a character in the Marvel comics, and he's not just like. Because there's a couple gods that appear in this sequence. They're just like gods from mythology. Hercules is a true like Marvel character. He's been in the comics since the 60s. He is one of the most long-standing member of the Avengers. And he also in the comics is a regular kind of like... I like the dynamic, yes. Where he's like a rival of Thor and often Hulk as opposed to an outright enemy. Because they kind of he's like a bro-y, like trying to prove that he's better than them kind of thing. Um He's cool. neat because when he has powers, he has like the Hercules kind of powers and also proficiency with like things like bows and arrows. But then recent comics have depowered him, but he still is like really talented at like the art of pancreation, like the old fighting style. People still practice this day and stuff like that. So I actually like the Hercules character. Um, again, it's one of those things where, okay, I would love to see Thor is a single dad trying to raise his kid and there's Hercules is just chasing him around New York. That's a movie, baby. <laughs> like, I will see that movie if they don't get it like bogged down in like continuity and 
or fighting comedy. aliens in space. Don't like if it's just either. single parent Her- um, Thor fighting Hercules, who's like an annoying broy guy trying to get him to come out of his house and beat him up in the street. I'll watch that. You know, when are we going to get a tournament movie, like a full tournament movie? Well, that would be dope. First off, there's a great yeah. Iron Fist comic that's like that. Uh, also, but like Secret Wars is kind of like that. If depending on how you write it, like all the different characters get zapped up to this arena, have to fight each other. That'd be great for cameos. You could have Wesley Snipes back his blade fighting, you know, Shang-Chi or something like that'd be cool. You have your matches and each match is the countdown because outside of the matches, you're triggered trying to figure out why are we here? Um, who pulled us here? So you have characters exploring the, not the, like, th- there's a whole, there's a whole chapter in Paper Mario, the thousand year door. That is literally this where <laughs> you have to do your matches to move forward. You got to play by the rules, but outside of the matches, it's a noir. Cause you're trying to figure out about this missing wrestler and you have to find out who's taking these powers and is the game rigged stuff like that. So you're exploring outside, trying to hide and fix solve puzzles. It's one of the best chapters. That game is perfect, but it's one of the best chapters in the game. And you could do something like See, that like, with these heroes. This would be this would be great use of like the Disney Plus thing, right? And then maybe maybe all the people for some reason when they're in this world don't have their powers unless they're in the fight or the oh, match. Oh yeah yeah yeah, that's cool. So yeah. there's some really cool stuff. Maybe during a fight they take the collars off and they get their powers. So someone purposely fails a fight, but he has to destroy something outside. He, you could have really cool stuff. Um, I don't know. Now we're just theorizing some potential, but like (laughs) Thor, if he lives long enough is perfect for something like this where, uh, and, and Kafagi years ago said he wants to get more into the otherworldly stuff. So it's basically mortal Kombat in space. It's mortal Kombat, but better than the mortal Kombat movie that just came out. So something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if people love their cameos, um, this is a great way to utilize them. And, but also like the fights, but also like, some of these actors, like they probably don't want to do like a big effects thing, maybe all the time, but like, Hey, we have a character driven pseudo noir in space. People are trying to figure out how to escape a space prison. Like, yeah, like, okay. Like I could see actors being like, I could see the actors from the fantasy four movies wanting to come back for that. You know, I could see like, God forbid fan four stick. You get miles Teller (laughs) and stuff to come back. They're basically doing this in dragon ball. Super. Um, that's no, basically, I think well. that's the, the plot line of that, where it's like, they just go do a universe fight. And if you lose, you just, your universe <laughs> gets exploded or something. So it's just, oh man, that'd be kind of fun. I was, I saw something else like that too. Like TVA. This is the TVA. Like that would be pretty fun. Like the, the yeah, well, TVA, the, the TVA are like the enforcers on the, on the floating space arena slash prison thing. Right. Cause, and Kang could be the one overseeing the games, but also you could have like the grandmaster and the collector there too. As like helping him out because like the collector gets to like keep the people that lose or something. Yeah, there's so much. There's and you what, can have a big we, dramatic breakout saying, right? at the end like, where they yeah. open up his collection. He, heroes, you get the anime rival thing where people who are rivals the whole time then realize they need to band together to to fight the bigger evil. Gurren Logan does this. You could use end. villains too. Like this does right. not have to be heroes. It doesn't so. all have to be heroes. Um, I'm trying to think. You could have um, Topher Grace's Venom. Um, you could. <laughs> You could have um, uh, what's her name from uh, uh, Sharon Stone from Catwoman. Uh, you could have all of the various vampire characters from the Blade, and like you know, what? open up the checkbook, Feige, cut a deal with like Dark Horse Comics, get Spawn in there, you know, like David Arbor's or, Hellboy, get Hellboy, get both Hellboys, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. 
the Hellboys <laughs> with a Z. Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both actors are white under the skin. That makes it worse. <laughs> so much. Ron Perlman will appear in anything. So you yeah. know he's down. Yeah, and he loves science fiction. He loves he loves uh, horror. Like, like you can you imagine all four Punishers: Dolph Lundgren, Ray Stevenson, Thomas Jane, and the John Bernthal. That'd like, be cool. Sh- shooting at each other, like, yeah. <laughs> or Maybe like the they scene go from ham- Predator. Contact, yeah. <laughs> and they just all have guns. And stuff shooting. <laughs> yeah, and like, what, like, which one? What, Ray Stevens would definitely be the one who'd like would refuse to work with the villains. And the first moment he got, he would just start shooting them. Yeah. Like, no, we great. need Sharon Stone. He's just shooting yeah. her. Like, stuff like that would be cool. That'd be what cool. Are, so, what are we saying? Right, like, whenever we get a bad Marvel movie, we, what we want is fun. Marvel movies, creative fun Marvel movies. That's or why we just like, like lean into the inherent drama and like be. It's okay to have a darker Thor movie. Like you can still have people joking, but just like actually like dig into the extremely dark subject matter that you've chosen to put in your own movie. Yes, like no one made you put in a guy who wants to kill gods and because his daughter Jane dies, foster yeah. cancer. You chose to put that in the movie, Taika. Yeah, <laughs> it is weird, um, but movie movies need to be fun they can be miserable but they can be fun while being miserable it's totally fine um because at the end of the day like it is entertainment media and so i i don't know but uh though the thing i really wanted to get into which we can keep it brief because we're getting a little long here but i wanted to talk about just sort of not just marvel fatigue which is the running thing over the last 10 years since phase two but just sort of Disney in general feels like they're going into a bad, a, a not so good phase, if I could say. So you have Obi-Wan, which was not very good. And that's right after Book of Boba Fett, which was only good for the two episodes. Boba Fett wasn't even there um, from what I've heard. I have not watched it yet because of people talking about it. Also, I've seen clips that don't look very good. Um, you have... Miss Marvel, which is great, but people are not watching. You have She-Hulk, which trailers look terrible, which is a shame because the actor they got for is really good. Very charismatic. Um, You have this movie, Thor, which is not good. And then you have Andor coming up, which, I mean, come on, right? Like who? I mean, Dan, you told me at least the kids in your youth group (laughs) are excited for it. But who is excited for Andor? Who asked for this? I mean, even when they mentioned it like a year, a couple years ago, people were like, what? really like i get it diego luna is a very well-known proficient actor in prestige television um but like come on and like i just i i have this suspicion and even echo right we we talk about it in the beginning but like apart from the fact that daredevil and and fisk are going to be in it really echo and like i'm not saying like I'm not calling out Echo for being like this isn't the episode where Cinematic Doctrine calls out Echo. You're bad. But like um, there's something about like what we're moving into that it just feels like and you know, Doctor Strange was divisive, but even though we, you know, are big fans of it, but not big, but we liked it a lot. And I just I, I had the suspicion that Disney's moving into another f- uh, the next phase of Disney this year. The 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 Bob Two, as as some people talk about, Bob Chapek, Bob Two um phase. It's it doesn't look good. And I wanted to know if you felt the same way that like maybe we're gonna have like 2022's two point five, three and fourth quarters are not gonna be too good. Uh, because of this, what do you think? For specifically just Marvel or the whole? I guess like just Marvel and Star Wars. I don't um, know what Star else. Star Wars, like- gosh, I, I've been of the opinion that Star Wars should take a break for a while. And 
I don't know. It's hard to say because Star Wars fans are extremely loyal and we're not seeing all the metrics. The difficult thing with the Disney Plus model is we don't see the metrics, like how are they gauging whether something is successful or not? Because if they're just looking at subscriptions, because like as long as they maintain subscriptions, they're happy because people are like, oh, this I don't like Book of Boba Fett. Obi-Wan is kind of disappointing. I don't care about Andor, but I got to see it. Like if, if that's all that they're looking at, then growth may not be the big thing. Um, well, okay. So short term growth is just where, where they can open up Disney plus and new markets. Cause as long as there's new markets that they can eventually break into, they'll keep seeing growth. Cause that's all they care about. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't care about like fan reception quality, unless it equals people cancel subscriptions or not paying for tickets, then like it, it almost doesn't matter how good or bad these things are. As long as they're maintaining people's attention, that's all they probably care about. That is my assumption. Um, what sets Marvel apart is you do get a sense that Kevin Feige cares about if these movies and shows are good or not. Like he has talked about like disappointments with certain projects or things he like to change about the projects or like he specifically has been counseling, counseling, talking to people at Sony and being like, you are doing this too quickly. You're, you're grilling too many projects. Like you're not building these correctly. And like, he's offering them notes in all of their movies. You ever read the notes he gave them on things like the Spider-Man movies? He does not appear to be a fan of the movies they make. Um, mm-hmm. He's very obviously like whatever. Um, there is a coming up uh, some sort of big announcement about the future of Marvel. Like they're going to show off new projects and stuff. And I think we'll, that will give us an indication of where they're going. Because they've already course corrected. Like uh, Captain Marvel 2 was basically canceled. Um, it was reworked into the yeah, Marvels. That's so, right. Um, they're doing that. They can't they cancel the humans movie back in the day. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is appears to be kind of a farewell for those characters from James Gunn. And unlike everything else, James Gunn has just been batting a thousand. So I'm looking forward to that. But outside of that, there's not a lot of known announced projects with dates. We have Ant-Man 3, uh, Quantum Mania. We have the She-Hulk show coming out in August. Um, they have announced projects like the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Uh, there will be a Fantastic Four and Blade movie at some point with no real dates given for those. So I do think they're actually going to look at how all these projects have been received so far and what to do next. So I am mostly optimistic, but free again, for me, big thing, seeing how well they maintain the continuity from the Defender saga into the new projects, Mm -hmm. um, what they actually do with the feedback they're getting is I think going to be a big indicator for where we go. Cause this is where kind of they decide whether or not we're going to be a studio that makes movies and TV shows that really deeply care about the characters or whether we're just a content machine. Yes. Cause if they just keep doing what they're doing with no change, um, that's kind of, I think where they're going to burn out their own fan base where even the most dedicated fan is going to like lose interest. Cause the other thing is, um, part of why I think they're willing to keep the defender stuff around is like daredevil punisher. These are big characters. These are characters that people know, even if you're not a MCU fan, you know who daredevil is, you know who the punisher is. And outside of X-Men fantastic four and uh, blade, they're kind of out of new characters that will have built in audiences Mm -hmm. because if they knew Spider-Man, people love Spider-Man. Okay. Like, you know, whatever. Um, But uh, Ironheart. Or like even something like She-Hulk, where people are like, oh, woman Hulk, you know, that's as far as it like, yeah, if they announce a power pack movie, 
then you better have a good marketing campaign and maybe introduce those characters in another thing people will like, or else no one's going to see a power pack movie, you know, or no one's going to see a man thing movie. These are not big characters. So at a certain point, your actual quality of project needs to be a certain level or else you're going to lose the fan um, loyalty. Cause that's mm-hmm. the big thing that as much as people bag on like the MCU is like retired superhero movies up until this phase, there's maybe one or two movies that people didn't like, but they had an insane run. Like just objectively speaking from Iron Man through Endgame, Those are all movies that either everyone loved or a majority of people liked. That's unprecedented. Like think about like people aren't even sure if they like the first three Terminator movies or if there's even more than one good predator movie. Yeah. They have like 17, 18 hits in a row. That's nuts. That is crazy. Um, and I think that's underrated in terms of like, yeah, they were like pretty good semi out of 10 movies, but that's a really good benchmark for consistency. And the fact that, that consistency is falling apart is the scary part. So we'll see whether or not Black Panther Wakanda forever is like good. Um, but I, I'm hopeful because like there's a guy at the wheel who like first and foremost, he loves the comic books and he loves the characters where he famously was smuggling comics onto the set of the X-Men movies because Brian Singer banned them from set and Kevin Feige really believed in those characters and wanted people to read the comics Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. So the fact that that's the guy in charge and not just some suit who just bought Marvel, I, that gives me a little more hope. And the fact that James Gunn and Taika, like whether or not you like everything they do, those guys like the comics. They like the characters. James Gunn specifically purposely puts in like characters that he likes that other people don't care about into it. Like that's why he did a peacemaker show. Like he's a nerd. So that's something you also can't necessarily put um, a premium on, I suppose, but we'll see. I still think the sheer volume of stuff they're doing is just the law of diminishing returns doesn't disappear just because you're making a lot of money, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's a lot of rambling, but no, season two filming right now. <laughs> um so I guess uh I don't know what kind of recommendations you got going on Dan. Uh so just to start uh, um let me just grab my trusty book right here. Oh. I just hit the problem with doing ministries your office is filled with stuff so I just like I have stuff from the game nights, the pool party um and also the VBS that we're doing right now. So um by the time you listen to this we'll start our VBS so if you could lift up my church in prayer as we do uh, a VBS, that's going to just absolutely just suck up my entire life. Excuse me for a few days. That'd be great. Everyone, uh, please. And thank you. Um, I'm going to recommend. So Paul David Tripp is some people have kind of turned on him in recent years because he's uh, quote unquote, got a little liberal. Um, that's apparently from his podcast. I don't listen to it because there's like a billion, billion podcasts out there. Uh, but his devotionals and stuff on parenting are really second to none. I highly recommend his stuff. Um, uh, specifically for the VBS, we're doing Getting to the Heart of Parenting. Uh, it was a conference he did that was released as a DVD. And so if you can look up and search out this DVD, it's some really good stuff. He And for all his talk of being liberal, it's very conservative. Um, talking about like just particularly his insight about like creating an environment for your children to grow up in. And how much like children are formed by um, their environment and how we as parents have a like uh, God given uh, role in that is just really good stuff. And then he gets more specific talking about different age groups and whatnot. It's it's a there's nine total, I think, nine sessions. Um, 
no, 10 sessions. Um, they're all about 20, 25 minutes each. They're pretty quick and easy. He's a really engaging speaker. Um, his dad jokes are terrible, but everything else is great. Uh, Paul David Tripp's getting the heart of parenting. I'm going to recommend, I mentioned it earlier, but uh, it's been out for a while now and you could totally get access to it on Peacock, but I was waiting until it kind of reached a point where I was like, okay, this is worth it. I'm going to recommend the Office Superman super fan episodes. They add basically cut content and then just put it in. And it isn't until about season four that all of the cut stuff is genuinely pretty, pretty funny. And, uh, but up until then, you get to kind of see how the power of editing makes a show palatable and much more enjoyable because the first season, the jokes are way meaner, but that makes me laugh out loud because they're just so absurd. Plus, you know, like editing wise, the show would not have taken off. I mean, technically it didn't for season one. It was just the only thing you could watch on iPod video for a while. And so that's why season two came, comes out. That's why the iPod is the best thing you can get at a, um, what do they call them? white elephant um and uh but now by the time season there's now five seasons of it um of the re-edited content and the stuff again like i said seasons four and five the stuff has been just great uh, really funny and i also just like these actors and performers i like to see how they handle stuff how they do certain things that otherwise aren't in there like in i think season three there's a scene where jim actually gets into like a shouting match with Roy and Jim otherwise is extremely passive. And so that was really kind of interesting uh, for that to happen. Um, I guess you could call this the alpha or, or the original run, the alpha verse, and this is the extended universe. So please just, please never do that. I I'm sorry. I just did that, but um, it is a, uh, it's good. I've been enjoying it and it's nice to just have, I don't know, I already like watching The Office. I've said I think one of the biggest reasons it's so enjoyable to watch is there's no music. So it is a very quiet and easy thing to watch. It's not really all that distracting. Um, and it's, I don't know, it doesn't require a lot of attention because it's not overwhelming my senses. And uh, so it's enjoyable to watch anyway, as everyone usually does. But these uh, the extra content is really quite good once you get to season four and occasionally pretty good from one through three. So yeah, it's, I think it's kind of worth getting Peacock. Really. It's kind of worth watching if you already have Peacock is what I'll say. So there you go. Super fan episodes. They're pretty good. So, um, cancer, right? (laughs) It's if only we all had a hammer. It's a, it's a thing that's in quite a, a cancer drama has kind of become, uh, almost too overdone in movies and stuff. Um, There's an infamous movie 50 Cent made called All Things Fall Apart where he cast himself as a cancer patient. Don't watch that movie. Or maybe you do. It might be funny. But Right after that, play his video game. Yeah, both of them. Um, But if if you're looking for a cancer drama that is also like kind of funny, um, there's two that are great. One is a recent film uh, the two cancer dramas that I recommend as great are first The Big Sick, which is directed by Michael Showalter. Uh, it is it's this wonderful rom com that is super funny, super well done, and it was a pretty big awards darling that year it came out, uh, including in not, I can't word nomination. The other is somewhat lesser seen, but really good. It's called Fifty Fifty. I don't know. Have you seen this? I have not. It's just Gordon Levin and Seth Rogen, and Seth Rogen in one of his more like um, 
restrained performances. It's based on a true story um, about a guy's own experience of having cancer who was a friend of Seth Rogen's. So Seth Rogen is effectively playing kind of himself, which is interesting. Uh, it's just a really nice movie uh, that's equal parts funny and equal parts really effective. I'd be, it is a down-to-earth, grounded cancer drama where it's like there's a lot of jokes about it. People are joking about his condition, but it's also realistic. Where it talks like it shows kind of like the way that the character's growing diagnosis affects him, and he has a 50-50 shot of surviving and just sort of what that brings out in him and how he handles the reality that he might in fact be dying. Um, it was kind of underseen. It got a lot of critical praise when it came out, and I immediately went and saw it in theaters because um, this is during my time where I just went to the movies like two or three times a week. But uh, 50-50 is great. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.